is Bean to Barstool, a podcast that looks at the intersections of craft beer and craft chocolate. My name is David Nelson. I'm a professional beer writer and an advanced Cicerone and the creator and host of this show. The music for this episode is by my dear friend, indie folk musician Anna P.S. You can find out more about Anna's music in the show notes or at her website, annapsmusic.com. You can find links and information about our guests in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoy this episode of Bean to Barstool. It's New Year's Eve as I record this. My wife and I will pass the final evening of 2020 how we've passed most others this year, in our apartment with friends far away. When the calendar flips to 2021 at midnight, we'll be drinking good beer and binge-watching the fourth and final season of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which hits Netflix today. We're holding out hope the holiday season a year from now will look different. As I filled out my 2021 planner this past weekend, yes, I still keep an actual physical planner, it was bizarre to look back at the first months of 2020 in the current planner. I was still leading in-person tasting events and beer education talks, still traveling to report stories, still attending festivals. My wife and I were beginning to plan an extended Northern European beer trip for this past fall that would have had us in Estonia, Germany, Austria, the Czech Republic, and a few other storied lands. Flipping through the pages of my 2020 planner showed events crossed out in April and May, and no new ones being scheduled after that. Interviews for stories were conducted over the phone instead of in person, and that European trip has been postponed till at least 2022. I've taken this week to rest and refocus for 2021. The pandemic forced me to reevaluate what I want my career as a food and drink writer and educator to look like. It's forced me to prioritize the assignments I really want to take and to focus on the stories I most want to tell. 2021 won't look how I imagined it might a year ago. I laid the groundwork for Bean to Barstool last January, and I had hoped to incorporate in-person Bean to Barstool events for the first time this coming year. That will have to wait a little longer. In the meantime, I am grateful for all of you who support this podcast and who have listened in these first fledgling months as I figured out what I'm doing. Tell your friends about it, and let's keep growing the circle of folks who recognize that beer and chocolate belong together. We can't be together in person yet, but as my sister said in the last episode, when we taste things together, the veil between us grows thin. A normal year would see me tasting exciting new beers at festivals, in distant brewery tap rooms, maybe even on foreign soil. After February, almost every good beer I had this year was consumed at home. I like my home and the people I share it with, but I am eager to go exploring again, eager for the times when setting influences flavor perception. When I'm in a new place and the moment is just right to make a flavor burrow into my long-term memory and become part of my sensory landscape. Let's hope that happens again sooner rather than later. What follows are descriptions of my favorite beers and chocolates I had for the first time or came to appreciate in a deeper way for the first time during the last 12 months. Enjoy. I'm cheating a bit with the first one as I opened it on New Year's Eve of 2019. Our friends Bethany and Brian were visiting, and more good bottles were opened than I can remember during that trip, but one definitely stands out. Jester King Das Wunderkind. Jester King is a farmhouse brewery in the Texas Hill Country just west of Austin. They raise goats and other farm animals, grow an array of produce, 
and crafts some of the best mixed fermentation farmhouse ales in the country. Das Wunderkind is only 4.5% alcohol, proving strength and complexity don't directly correlate. Sprightly notes of bread dough, peach, white pepper, minerality, lemon, and grapefruit frit about on a lightly acidic and gently funky foundation. This was a far more exciting way to toast in 2020 than champagne. One of the few beers on this list I actually got to taste somewhere besides my house was Warped Wing's 2017 Chardonnay Barrel-Aged Barn Gang Cezanne. On an icy Saturday last January, the brewery celebrated their sixth anniversary with a party in their hulking concrete building in the shadow of downtown Dayton, a structure that housed an iron foundry way back in 1938 when it was built. Barn Gang is a dry, moderately bitter Cezanne, but this particular three-year-old variant was aged in Chardonnay barrels, and the wine relaxed the beer's farmhand shoulders, brought it into the house, and taught it to dance. Dried pineapple, gentle wine-like acidity, juicy fruit gum, and the subtlest remnants of the barn, hay, earth, peek in around the edges. In May, my family and I sat in on a virtual tasting with Ritual Chocolate and chocolate writer Megan Giller. While all of Ritual's bars are amazing, their Peru 75% bar with Nacional Cacao from the Marignan Valley stood out above the rest for me. Initial aromas of raisin, rum, tobacco, and light florals gave way to a much brighter and more delicate flavor profile that revealed itself in layers like waves gently lapping at the sand. The boldest notes hit first. What others perceived as marshmallow and oolong tea stood out to me as a fresh Maduro cigar. After that, gentle and cool floral and berry flavors emerged, like blackberries and orchids growing side by side in the shade. The bar is acidic and slightly astringent, but silky smooth. Brink Brewing in the College Hill neighborhood of northern Cincinnati runs just a tiny taproom and has no distribution. They punch well above their weight class on the national awards stage when it comes to dark English ale styles, however. They've meddled at the Great American Beer Festival, the nation's most prestigious competition, several years in a row for Hold the Reins, their dark mild, and for my favorite beer they produce, Moosey Milk Stout. I'd tasted Moosey before 2020, but I got to sit in their tap room and enjoy a couple pints of it for the first time back in February, when my friend Tristan Chan, the editor-in-chief of PorchDrinking.com, was in town. Moosey offers beguiling complexity with layers of chocolate and roast, despite remaining quite drinkable at 6.2%. This beer has won gold at GABF three straight years. By any measure, it's one of the best milk stouts in the world. If I could only drink one beer style most days, it would probably be Vienna Lager. This elegant, endlessly drinkable style was the original pale lager style, developed by Anton Dreyer in the Austrian capital way back in 1841. Von Trapp Brewery in Stowe, Vermont, produces one of the best I've ever had, and I was fortunate to get some from a friend who returned from the Northeast just before the pandemic began. Founded by members of the Von Trapp family of The Sound of Music fame, Von Trapp pay homage to their homeland with this perfect representation of Vienna lager, with notes of toast, light caramel, a dry finish, snappish bitterness, and a subtle shale-like mineral undertone. It's flawless, showcasing the indulgent but austere paradox of great European lagers. 
Rose Hill Estates Trinidad 68.9% bar made by Amano Artisan Chocolate in Utah came to me by surprise as an add-on to an order, and I ended up liking it more than the bars I had actually ordered. Initial aromas were grassy and floral, with notes of sunny dandelions and nutty undertones, and then built to underripe banana skins, heady floral notes, and even some green cardamom with moderate acidity and bitterness and an abstract fruitiness I couldn't quite pin down. Live Oak Brewing in Austin, Texas, makes some of the best authentic European-style ales and lagers in the country, and earlier this spring they sent me some to try out. Gold, their German-style pilsner, was perfect, and that's literally the only tasting note I wrote down as the glass disappeared far too quickly. Their primus Weizenbach warranted a little more reflection, however. Weizenbach is a strong German wheat ale brewed with an expressive ale yeast strain known for producing a good amount of isoamyl acetate, an ester that comes across as banana, and 4-vinyl guayacol, a phenol compound that most commonly presents as clove. The malty foundation of the beer combined with this fermentation character often leads to flavors of spiced banana bread. Primus is redolent of overripe caramelized banana and honeyed bread crust with clove and allspice, a touch of higher bubblegum as well. Despite these sweet, rich flavors, the beer finishes dry enough to help those aromas hold their shape, with just enough balancing bitterness. This beer is gorgeous and makes me wish good Weizenbox were more readily available. I did a Girl Scouts cookie pairing last spring, and I paired Primus with Samoas with their caramel, coconut, and chocolate flavors, and it was blissful. The banana and coconut lend a tropical overtone, and the cookie's caramel and toasted coconut intertwine fingers with the beer's rich malts and caramelized banana while bringing the booze forward, and the chocolate adds even more underlying complexity. Pair a good Weizenbach with Girl Scouts spring and enjoy this magical pairing. Rebecca Hess opened Cleveland Chocolate Company in 2020, and while opening a business during a pandemic is no doubt stressful and nerve-wracking, her chocolate is as light-hearted and clear-headed as any I've had. Cleveland Chocolate's Columbia 60% Dark Bar, made with cacao from the Arhuacos region of Colombia, is a perfect example. The bar offers warm notes of honey and honeysuckle, with just a kiss of lavender and an underlying nuttiness with a touch of coffee. These flavors lead to a slightly sweeter impression than the percentage would indicate. If you're not familiar already with Cleveland Chocolate, check out this young company's excellent bars. In December 2019, I wrote an article for Porch Drinking about Little Fish Brewing Consent, a wine barrel-aged sour brown ale brewed with Earl Grey tea and rose petals. At the time, I hadn't even had a chance to try the beer, but I finally got to try it in 2020 when the brewery began shipping within Ohio. The beer was brewed originally in collaboration with Survivor Outreach Advocacy Program, a Southwest Ohio nonprofit advocating for and supporting survivors of sexual assault, and was released during April, which is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, with some of the proceeds going to benefit the Survivor Outreach Advocacy Program. The inspiration for the beer came from the popular YouTube video that uses tea as a way of explaining the basics of consent. Aside from supporting an incredibly important cause, the beer itself is absolutely gorgeous. Initial aromas are of spiced cherry, brown sugar, and dark bread, and the sip carries that stone fruit forward with dry peach pit and the tart, dark red flesh right around it. 
Around that is a gauze of light floral notes, quickly carried away by the dry and tannic finish, though that dryness is kept hydrated by the tart acidity. There's a bit of cedar to the tannins, and you don't taste the tea and rose directly so much as feel them. This was incredible. The next beer on my list was Seventh Sun Kahua, a spiced coffee stout, but I'm not going to say much about it right now. The next episode of Bean to Barstool will be all about coffee and brewing and chocolate making, and we'll be talking more about this beer then. I did offer a pairing for this back in episode four, if you want to hear that. I ordered several bars from Antidote Chocolate early in the spring and was pleased with the playful but thoughtful flavor combinations in their inclusion bars. Their Hestia bar is a 77% dark bar with banana chips and cayenne pepper, and it balances sweet and fruity elements against earthy and spicy flavors, which is a contrast I love. The chocolate itself starts out dry and woody with a faint spice, almost like unpeeled nutmeg pods, before the cayenne heat begins to creep in through the gaps. The banana is initially present more as a mild sweetness than an actual flavor, though it does make itself more known after a bit. Hot cocoa and brownie from the chocolate hold it all together. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, getting a Cicerone certification is an amazing way to raise your beer knowledge and can be a game changer for your beer career. But how are you supposed to find the time to prep and how are you supposed to know exactly what to study? Don't sweat because the Beer Scholar has you covered. Beer Scholar is a sponsor of Bean to Barstool, but I can tell you from personal experience years before I was doing this podcast how helpful the Beer Scholar study guides are. They offer efficient online courses for levels one and two that cover everything you need to know, tips and tricks for how to pass the exams, and include live weekly Zooms to taste and discuss classic beer styles together. They even have a new coaching program for the level three advanced Cicerone exam. I used the Beer Scholar Study Guide to pass my Level 2 exam many years ago. I wish the Level 3 had been around when I took that exam. I had to do it on my own. Wish their study guides had been available for that at the time. The vast majority of certified Cicerones in the world today have used Beer Scholar to help achieve the goal of passing that exam. If you are ready to take your beer career to the next level, visit thebeerscholar.com and check out their online courses. We heard from Kyle and Dan at Carillon Brewing Company here in Dayton in Episode 9. Carillon is a historically focused brewery recreating beers and brewing techniques from around 1850. They brew all their beers on a gravity-fed, wood-fired, barrel-fermented brewing system, and their average brew day involves chopping their own wood to heat their brewing vessels. I've been intimately familiar with their beer for years, and even helped write the recipe for and brew a historical Lichtenhainer with them in 2019. But because of the nature of how they brew, their beers are constantly evolving, and I was very pleased with the subtle changes to two of their beers this year. Their porter bears the rusticity of its creation while maintaining a modern drinkability, with notes of dry coffee and a gentle curve of acidity from the dark roasted malt. Sitting under the ancient sycamores in Carillon's sun-dappled beer garden, it's endlessly satisfying. While brewers today are adding all kinds of unusual ingredients to their beers, not all of these additions represent new ideas. 
Indigenous North Americans and Scandinavian Vikings both brewed with spruce long ago, and spruce tea was offered to French explorer Jacques Cartier by native peoples in the 16th century to prevent Cartier's men from dying of scurvy, laying the groundwork for brewing spruce beer in the winter months in future years. Carillon spruce ale isn't a necessity for survival, but it does make the colder months easier to get through. Flavors of pine needle, faint smoke, and even distant mint come through this strong, dark ale that makes me think of wandering in a snowy stand of pines on a lonely winter night, the closest human miles away. From frigid winter to tropical summer, Theo and Philo's 65% dark chocolate with green mango and sea salt was one of my favorite discoveries of the summer. As soon as the days get warm enough, our family spends as much time as possible on our secluded courtyard patio, shadowed by a towering American sweet gum tree and two crab apples that blossom effulgently every spring, and hemmed in by burning bush and snowball viburnum. On a hot day, it can feel like a tropical paradise right here in the Midwest. I opened this Theo and Philo bar on just such a day and felt transported far away. The bar is funky in the best possible way, with briny mango skin and sap, musty earth and moss, subtle sea salt, and just enough sweetness to the chocolate itself to keep the whole thing from veering too far into the esoteric. This bar also led to one of my favorite warm-weather pairings of the year when I matched it with Streetside Brewing's Ghostface Killa. I'm troubled by the white-owned brewery appropriating a black hip-hop artist's name to sell a beer, and I hope they think better of it and rename the beer at some point. There's no getting around that, and we have to hope for better from craft breweries. The beer itself is a plum goza, a sour German wheat ale with salt. It's fantastic, with flavors of lemon balm and sweet and tart plum, with just a touch of salt to give it a fuller perception and a super creamy texture. Paired with the Theo and Philo bar, it brought out the earthier character of the stone fruit, like windfall plum with piney mango while the creaminess and tartness slightly subdued some of the funkiness of the bar without stripping it of its essential weirdness. I could have picked any number of beers from Dayton's Branch and Bone Artisan Ales, including their Mexican-spiced party in the dark milk stout, which was here and gone like a rumor back in early summer. Ultimately, their beer that most excited me this year was Modern Business Hymns, which I introduced to you in episode 10. The beer was the first branch and bone brewed with Violet Sky Cacao, and this partnership is sure to produce many more excellent beers. Aromas of pistachio pudding, maraschino cherry, and vanilla hit first, with fudgy and slightly acidic chocolate just beneath, all cradled in the muscular arms of an 11.5% imperial stout with its own layers of chocolate and subtle coffee. It's thick and luxuriously creamy, but not cloyingly sweet, with the acidity of the cacao providing a roundness to curb the sweet body. Listen to episode 10 to hear more about this beer and the burgeoning collaboration behind it. My friend Anna, whose music graces these episodes, returned from a tour of New England last fall in support of her latest album and brought me back some beer from one of the best mixed fermentation breweries in the country, Oxbow Brewing in Maine. Loretta is a low-alcohol grisette brewed with spelt, the beer is dry, light, and gracefully athletic, with notes of dry wheat supporting gentle peach and apricot fermentation notes that meet a crisp acidity and firm bitterness, like clear water over rock. 
Phenolic aromas of clove and black and white pepper combine with the fruit esters to trigger a sense memory I couldn't immediately place until I was walking to our car one day, caught a whiff of something, backed up, and stuck my head into a cluster of white flowers on one of our bushes, Snowball by Burnham. That was it, and I picked it up in other Belgian beers as well. Every time we step outside, there's a chance to expand our sensory vocabulary. Manoa chocolate has become one of my favorite makers this year, with beautifully textured and balanced bars imbued with the flavors of their home. I loved so many of their bars this year, including their breakfast bar with coffee and nibs, and their Maya bar made with banana. My favorite, though, was their Kohana rum bar, a 75% dark bar made with agricole rum from local farm-to-bottle distiller Kohana. Kohana grows their own single varietal sugarcane to produce their rum, and Manoa then soaks cacao nibs in that agricole rum for this bar. It's dazzlingly complex, but instantly enjoyable, rewarding any amount of attention you want to grant it. If you love complex, funkier rums, you have to try this. A panoply of herbal, grassy, floral, fruity notes come off of this, from coconut flesh to star anise to honey to sweet grass. This was spectacular. In addition to Live Oak Gold I mentioned earlier, I had two other pretty much perfect Pilsners this year. Noble Beast Union Pills from Cleveland, Ohio, and Jack's Abbey Post-Shift Pilsner from Framingham, Massachusetts. The Noble Beast is brewed in the Czech tradition, with a decoction mash and a fuller malt profile, while the Jack's Abbey is brewed with German hops and malts, and with a drinkable American bent to it. As the name of the latter indicates, Pilsner is the style you're most likely to find a brewer drinking after their day in the brew house, because the style is just endlessly enjoyable and encourages ready conversation. Ritual Chocolate appears here again, not for a single origin bar, but for an unusual inclusion. Their 55% cacao pine nut bar reflects the Utah landscape that inspired it. Pine nuts are the seeds of pinyon pine trees native to Utah, and here their earthy nuttiness comes through as gentle hay, pumpkin seed, and warm sawdust. I've only been to Utah once, hiking the narrows of Zion Canyon as a teenager, but this bar instantly brought to mind images of the state's alien beauty. The bar also provided an excellent pairing for this year's edition of Anchor Christmas Ale. The beer recipe changes every year, and this year's had comforting malt flavors, gentle spicing, and very subtle spice and fruit from the yeast. The hay, seed, and nut flavors from the pine nut bar interlaced beautifully with the spice notes and toasty malts of the beer, and the chocolate itself deepened the gentle roast of the darker malts. This was a beautiful seasonal pairing. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, Final Gravity Issue 4 is now available in the Bean to Barstool shop. This fourth issue of our zine telling intimate, human-centered stories from the world of beer is full of great articles, including Kate Power of Lady Justice Brewing talking about why she might be done with beer festivals, Ukrainian beer writer Lana Svitinkova writing about the Zeugel brewing tradition in Germany, UK writer Matthew Curtis talking about the blend of old and new in the Cascale tradition in Manchester, and many more. We believe passionately in this project, and if you believe the story of beer is ultimately a story about people and relationships, we think you'll love Final Gravity as well. 
You can order the new issue from our shop on beantobarstool.com, or you can also subscribe, including subscribing for your brewery tap room or break room, or you can subscribe and sign up to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash beantobarstoolzines. Now, back to the episode. The most buzzed about style in craft beer is the hazy IPA. And while the best examples are excellent, a lot of them can start to taste the same, especially when there are so, so many of them. So many big-name hazies leave me a bit cold and uninspired when I finally get to try them. Toppling Goliath King Sue out of Iowa is not among them. Named for the giant tyrannosaur skeleton in Chicago's Field Museum, King Sue is a double IPA hopped with citra hops, and the two-week-old can I had in balmy June was absolutely gorgeous. The aroma offered underripe pineapple, a whiff of old gasoline, a touch of guava, and some dankness. That sounds a bit much, I know, but it was harmonious and everything came together and settled out on the palate, with creamy, super sappy pineapple and mango, and a touch of greenness from the hops that brought to mind Iron Goddess Tea. Perfectly calibrated bitterness seated nicely within the fuller body. This earned its hype. From buzzworthy to a style that's about as unhyped as they come, Twin Oast to Hellesenbach is a Maybach from the shores of Lake Erie in northwest Ohio. Maybach is a pale, moderately strong German lager style that balances a regal strength with sunny drinkability when well-made. And this one is. Light caramel and bread, like bread crust baked with a sweet wash, with gentle herbal and floral hops sloping away from that malty headland with a pleasantly dry finish despite the early sweet impression. I could drink this on Twin Oast's rolling rural property all day, and fully plan to when the pandemic is over and I can visit. I'm cheating with this next pick. When I had the chance to taste Fire Tree's range of single-origin bars during Cacao Magazine's chocolate-tasting course in August, I was bowled over by not only the quality of their chocolate, but also the dazzling variance in flavor profiles from cacao from different Pacific islands. Vanuatu Malakula Island 72% was sunny and soft, with strawberry, lemon flower, and cotton candy while the Papua New Guinea Karkar Island of the same percentage was earthy, with notes of mushroom, tree bark, and moderate acidity. It was eye-opening to taste these all side by side, and that's why I'm picking all of them. That Vanuatu bar also provided a beautiful pairing with the 2015 St. Bernardus Abbott 12, a Belgian dark strong ale with indulgent, complex flavors of prune, overripe plum, grape jelly, fruitcake, vanilla, and anise, with a creamy, still lively carbonation. The curious alchemy of these flavors together led to a pairing bursting with strawberry and raspberry, cotton candy, and creme brulee. My friends Mitch and Becca brought me an amazing assortment of coveted North Carolina beers when they returned from Asheville this summer, and one of my favorites was Fontaflora Brower Beer, a 4.5% hoppy saison that instantly made me think of the sublime Belgian beer Taras Bulba from the Brussels brewery Brasserie de la Seine. Brouwer beer offers up a gorgeous interplay of yeast and hops that yield aromas of clove, field grass, and lemongrass, with faint pear, lime, and prickly pear cactus. Bursting with aroma but dry and drinkable with a snappy bitterness, I want a never-ending supply of this beer. 
My delight with this beer began before I even opened the can, which is decorated with a clever five-panel design in which a monk slowly transforms into an octopus, all done in a stained-glass style. Last winter, Madtree Brewing in Cincinnati released Local Blend, a porter that was offered in four packs, each can brewed with a different coffee from each of Ohio's four largest metro areas, Cincinnati, Dayton, Columbus, and Cleveland. Tasting these side by side was a fascinating exploration of the subtle differences different coffees bring to a beer, from the spicy notes of the washed Kenyan Kifahari beans from Dayton's Boston Stoker Coffee, to the acidity and earthiness of the dry-processed Panama beans from Cincinnati's Deeper Roots Coffee. I would love to see more breweries offer tasting experiments similar to this. I was fascinated to learn this year about Somerville Chocolate run by Eric Parks, who produces his bars inside Aeronaut Brewing in Somerville, Massachusetts. I interviewed Eric this fall, and you'll hear from him on Bean to Barstool soon. One of his most fascinating bars is his Beer Dark Chocolate, a 65% bar made with nibs that steeped in Aeronaut's Cocoa Sutra Milk Stout while it fermented, and were then dried and used in the bar. We'll talk all about this bar and others from Somerville in an episode soon. In episode 5, we looked at the fascinating world of smoke in both beer and chocolate and talked with Caleb Mishaki of Sugar Creek Malt in Indiana, who produces a wide array of unique smoked malts. Caleb operates the only Seinhus, a Norwegian smokehouse for drying malt, in the Western Hemisphere, and I had the chance this year to try three beers brewed with his Seinhus malts. 5th Street Brew Pub Gratzer and Lock 27's Djordazel, both from Dayton, and Fontaflora Seinhus from North Carolina. Beyond being brewed in different styles, each was completely unique from the use of different wood smokes for drying the malt. Fontaflora's was like the entire life of a wood fire was distilled into a glass. Ash, coal, dry smoke and cold air, warm wood, the comforting smell of the fire on your favorite flannel shirt. The Lock 27 beer was funkier, with a sweeter impression to the smoke up front, along with some sharp, almost medicinal phenolics that softened into fruity and lightly meaty flavors that eventually dry out to an ashy, smoky char. The Fifth Street Gratzer, a Polish wheat ale that was only 2.5% alcohol, drank considerably bigger than its size, with clean wood smoke notes from the oak-smoked wheat and none of the meaty notes found in the Lock 27 beer from across town. These beers are a lot, but they're fascinating, challenging, and intriguing. Madhu Chocolate in Austin, Texas, produces chocolates infused with flavors and ingredients from co-founder Harshith Gupta's Indian Heritage. We heard from Harshith in episode 6, and I loved tasting through bars like rose pistachio and saffron milk. Perhaps my favorite was dark masala chai, a 60% bar made with the same five spices Hersheath's mom uses in her chai tea every day. This bar is an autumn sunrise, with a complex but interlaced spice profile with vanilla, cardamom, and clove, and underlying notes of black tea and orange peel, and some subtler plum-like notes peeking through, possibly from the cacao itself. It's comforting but energetic, like a bright October morning. Appropriately, I paired this in the fall with Whole Hog Pumpkin Ale, one of the best pumpkin beers available each year. Together, they're like one indulgent confection, a pumpkin spice bonbon with zesty black pepper, rousing black tea, and subtle cranberry emerging from 
the cacao maybe, or a trick of the spice. The gentle hand with the spices on both sides here is key to an integrated and enjoyable marriage between them. One of the most exciting beers I tried this year was New Belgium Exquisite Extraction. This beer is a single-fooder, dark-sour ale blended with a small amount of stout and infused with Ethiopian Worka Chalbessa and Gera washed coffee beans from black and white roasters in Raleigh, North Carolina, and Dominican Republic cacao nibs and husks from Vaderi Chocolate in Raleigh. The beer announces itself from the glass long before it's tasted, with notes of creamy milk and acidic dark chocolates revealing Concord grape and plum in the deeps, with that funky smell of a burlap cacao sack, hay, burlap, sour vanilla. The sip is regal, beguiling, bizarre. Cacao husk, acidic coffee, unripe plum, tart grape, straw. The sourness is present but restrained. The body is creamy and smooth. The finish is dry but not thin or astringent. I can't wait to have this again, and if I can manage, I'd love to get someone from New Belgium on the show to talk about this soon. In episode 8, I talked with the folks from Ethereal Confections in Woodstock, Illinois, who provide cacao for dozens of breweries around the country. Shortly after that episode, I had the chance to taste a few of their bars, and their Haiti 70% bar stood out as an immediate favorite. Notes of honey and dried fig with pops of blueberry-like acidity and whispers of lily, and just enough sweetness to amplify the subtle undertone of vanilla. As soon as the melancholy ache of late summer turns to the tumbling glory of early autumn here in Ohio, my fridge begins filling up with the best Oktoberfest lagers to be found. The best I had this year among established classics was from Sonder Brewing in Mason, Ohio, a relatively young brewery co-founded by one of the former brewers at Wisconsin's legendary New Glarus Brewing. Dry-bodied with snappish bitterness and a regal malt profile that isn't as soft as many tend to be, with bread toast, an impression of caramel, and underlying shale-like dryness, this is a fall treat I will seek out for years to come. Wit beer was one of the first beer styles that made me realize I loved Belgian beer many years ago. Lock 27 Brewing in Dayton brought home the bronze medal in the style at the Great American Beer Festival this year for their Volk Wit beer, which means I have one of the best Wit beers in the country close at hand. Volk shimmers like antique gold in the light and offers spicy coriander, quiet wheat, gentle fermentation notes, and a light but fluffy texture. The perfect patio beer. I love coffee in both beer and chocolate. The next episode is devoted to it, in fact. And the best coffee chocolate I had this year was Bellevue Good Morning Vietnam. This 70% dark bar is made with cacao and coffee, both from the Lam Dong province of Vietnam. My first impression was of sunshine on a citrus grove, but that was quickly eclipsed by coasting waves of smoky, earthy, and nutty coffee beans. And finally, the coffee cherry itself emerges, bright and robust, bolstered by the acidity of the cacao. Good morning, indeed. Columbus Brewing Company makes some of the best IPAs in the country, and their Yakima Fresh Wet Hop IPA is absolutely gorgeous. It's brewed with mosaic wet hops less than 24 hours after they're picked, and it's a beautiful expression of old-school citrus and pine hop character, with a bit of tropical honeydew melon thrown in. It celebrates hop bitterness, but not so much it obscures hop aroma and flavor. It's perfect. 
Casa Humilde Cerveceria in Chicago brew an array of excellent beers that are often infused with flavors and ingredients from Mexican culinary tradition. Campesino Cezanne is dry and effervescent, with light lemony hop notes, a subtle underlying minerality, and gentle clove and pepper fermentation notes. It perfectly balances on the rustic but refined tightrope the best beers of this style walk. While most of the bars on this list are dark, I am in no way averse to sweeter milk chocolate or even white chocolate. There is a nostalgic comfort to milk chocolate, and one of the best I had this year was Original Beans 42%, made with cacao from the Esmeraldas coast of Ecuador. Creamy and silky smooth, this bar is caramely and lightly nutty, and just a bit like the best fudgesicle you've ever had. Good doesn't always have to mean complicated or challenging. I tasted hundreds of beers at the 2019 Great American Beer Festival in Denver, and I took notes on every single one of them. A handful didn't require them. Their tasting notes were imprinted on my brain, and I'll never forget them. One lodged so deep, I continued to think about it for months afterward. And in a roundabout way, the thoughts it provoked about the nature of flavor helped to shape what I wanted to do with Bean to Barstool. The beer was called A Dark Everlasting by Orpheus Brewing in Atlanta. And when I saw a few months ago that they had aged a spontaneously fermented sour ale on cacao fruit, pulp, and seeds, I knew I needed to try it. Artifice of Eternity is only 4.5% alcohol, but it's a starburst of flavors, with notes of bread dough, grape must, lychee, passion fruit, and clove layered over quiet funk and round, bright acidity. I interviewed founder and brewer Jason Pellet in December, and we'll be hearing from him in an episode in February. After bottling Artifice of Eternity, Jason dried and roasted the cacao seeds and made chocolate from them at home from most of them, while using the rest in a bourbon barrel-aged imperial stout. I have all three iterations, and we'll be tasting and talking through them in episode 14 coming up next month. As a quick side note, I miss beer festivals so much, and as a confession, I've never been to a chocolate festival. Once the pandemic is over, or as over as it's ever going to be, I can't wait to rectify that and finally meet many of you in person. The last beer on my list arrived from my friend and fellow beer writer Ruvani Da Silva in Texas for our holiday beer exchange last month. Brazos Valley Slippin' Into Darkness is an imperial stout brewed with cacao nibs and jet fuel coffee from Independence Coffee Company. Along with the expected roast and robust coffee aromas, this beer surprised me with a subtle but uncanny aroma of strawberries and cream likely from some alchemy of the coffee acidity, cacao, and fermentation. On the tongue, the beer blooms with spicy coffee tinged with green cardamom, an acidic dark chocolate in a full and creamy body, and slowly crescendoing bitterness to keep all that richness in check. Tales Chocolate from Stockholm, Sweden, makes what I consider the most visually beautiful bars in all of chocolate, with each bar offering a topographical map of either the Swedish archipelago or the city of Stockholm itself. I hope to have the folks from Tales on the show soon to talk about the role of presentation and how it impacts the reception of the bar. Fortunately, their chocolate tastes as good as it looks. Their Tales of Archipelago Seabreeze 70% bar is made with Dominican Republic cacao and sea salt, and that simple description belies the beauty of this contoured bar. 
fudgy and lightly acidic with notes of red raspberry, dappled with warm pockets of sea salt, like islands in a dark sea. This made me imagine a languid holiday on the Swedish islands, patches of sunlight on the calm waters. Maybe someday. I would love to hear from you about your favorite beers and chocolates of 2020, or your thoughts on any of the ones I've shared here. Feel free to comment on Instagram or Facebook, DM me, or drop me an email at beantobarstool at gmail.com. I have a lot of exciting things planned for this podcast for 2021 and beyond, and I look forward to sharing them with you. By the time you hear this, it will be 2021. Here's hoping it's a better year for all of us. The music for this episode was performed, as always, by my friend Anna P.S. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at her website, annapsmusic.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Being a Barstool. Happy 2021, everyone.